Amen. That's awesome. Tell you what, I I just uh, maybe it's being a worship leader for 15 years. <laughs> I don't know, but I really think it's more about just being a Christian and being so in love with Jesus Christ that you just love to worship. You just love to praise Him. And to me, there's nothing like it. And I, I have to share with you, because this, this was pretty cool. Um, during that last song, the, the second time we did it, the Lord gave me a vision of doing that in the future. And I'll, I'll have to give warning to the praise team, because the, the vision that he gave me, I wasn't supposed to give you guys notice. But it was on a Sunday morning, and... and Clearly, this is a little ways from now because there were a few thousand people there. <laughs> we couldn't fit in here. But as we began to, we began a normal Sunday in this vision, and this was just a few moments ago, but we get, began a normal Sunday, all the things laid out, you know, the normal time of worship, and then, you know, everything that we do on a Sunday morning. But then the Lord stopped that right in the middle of the worship in, in my heart. In, in my mind, he stopped that, and he said, this is what I want you to do all morning. And, and in that vision, we spent hours just worshiping him, just praising him. I mean, do you know the intimacy that worship draws? If, if you have taken any time in your personal time, if you don't include worship, I want to encourage you to do that. Because worship takes on many facets. One, we've talked about worship being a warfare. There, there is, a, Lord gave me a, a, a picture vision one time, and I can't remember what it was in reference to, something that we were doing at the time. We were heavily involved in, in this warfare, and, and he gave me this picture, and, and it was all block letters, and it kind of almost like something you see on TV where, where it was all this, big iron encased and stoned encased letters, just huge, huge letters. If I were standing next to it, they'd be 100 foot tall letters. And, and it just said warship, W-A-R-S-H-I-P. And it, it was the picture of what worship can be when you are warring in the spirit. Because there is nothing greater than declaring the preeminence and the power of Jesus Christ. Through his blood. See, he bought that. That's what we don't recognize is, is yes, it is our choice to give him our worship. He, he made it our choice because he wanted love. But don't think that it's not owed. Don't think for a second that it's not owed. As you develop a close walk with him, as you, as you reach out to him in relationship, understand that there was a debt that was there. That he paid for. The Bible talks about when we accept him as, as uh, uh, our Savior in our heart, we become bond servants, Paul says. That's a slave by choice. A bond servant is a slave by choice. So we become slaves by choice with Jesus Christ. Now, if you continue reading in the, in the Word of God, you, you understand that later he says, Jesus himself says that you have become my friends. You're no longer bond servants. You have become my friends. But see, there's a process between that bond servant, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and to his friend. And the difference there is relationship. It's not status. It's not not saved and saved. It's not not going to heaven or going to heaven. It's, not, it's nothing like that. Because in both cases, it's, you have to be saved to even qualify. You have to be saved to even be able to have a relationship with Christ. But as we've talked about many, many times, that relationship is not automatic. The, the salvation through grace is 100% Him. All we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is ask for it. But the relationship from that point on, the very next breath you breathe until the last breath you, you breathe, that is relationship, and that costs. That costs everything. 
As you go through Colossians, as you go through 1 Corinthians 3, you realize that that will cost you everything. Anybody in here that has had a relationship, a long-lasting relationship, like a marriage or something like that, you understand that there is a cost to that. There is a cost for Alexis and I to be close, to be in love, to know each other so well that she finishes my sentences. I still don't finish hers. She finishes mine. (laughs) See, that takes time. Even though she tried to finish my sentences before we got to know each other, but now she can. Why? Because we, be, we spent time together. We invested in one another in that relationship. See, I, I just want to get across to you guys, it's no different with Jesus Christ. Because you cannot see him, don't think it's any different. Because, see, we accept that he's there by faith, that's what begins to open the door. That's, that's how we accepted him. We knew he was there. We believed that he, he is the son of God, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We believe those things. We can't see him. We believe him by faith. But as we begin to develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. That faith becomes reality. I promise you, as you draw closer to Christ, as you seek him in intimacy, there will come points in that relationship where it's no longer by faith. Because you have experienced him. And we've talked about that a few times with the the application of stairs. You know, as you step up a stairs and you you step up one rung and, and you go and you're at a new level of faith. And then that faith is tested. See, but the stairs behind you, you've already been through. Your relationship as you build it with Jesus Christ, it's behind you, but you've already been through it. See, God has provided for me financially so many times that it's really not a matter of faith. I suppose it's always a matter of faith, but it's not a matter of the same measure of faith that I needed before. I remember the first time that I needed this just amazing faith because we were so in trouble financially was after 9-11. And I, I've told this story many times where, where we literally, our business lost 95% of the business overnight. We were in trouble. We were doing almost $100,000 a month, and, and yet 60% of that was hard cost. So when you no longer have the business coming in, you're you're bleeding pretty bad pretty quickly. We were in trouble. And so that was the first time in my life where that need for great faith was used and was really built. But you know what? He proved himself in that. I did trust him, and we went through that. And I'm not going to go through the whole story. He did provide. He did take us through that. So that step became behind me. Do you see what I'm saying? So as I'm stepping forward, and, and at least in the, the realm of finances, I say, he did it there. I, I trusted him. He did it. He fulfilled that. It's no longer the same measure of faith that it took for me to trust him then. It doesn't mean that we don't need the same faith. It means it's applied at different levels. It's applied to different things. Look at where you're at in your life right now. I guarantee you where you're at in in your life is requiring a level of faith in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at. Wherever you're at, he is trying to show you that next step. That next step up. Why? Because that's intimacy with him. You can imagine if he's sitting at the top of the stairs, if you want to use that that analogy, he's sitting at the top of the stairs waiting for you, just open arms, but each step that you get closer to him, there's more interaction. There's more intimacy. There's more camaraderie. There's more knowing each other. It's just like a normal relationship. The more Lex and I spend time together, the more we know each other. 
And, and by the way, the more we spend time together working through the things that we need to work through, enjoying the things that we do together, spending relationship time together, then that relationship becomes sweeter. It becomes something that we can rely on. It becomes something that we want to protect. We want to increase. See, don't think because you can't physically see Jesus Christ that he doesn't want a relationship with you that is more real than any physical person here on earth. Because there's not another soul that died for you on the cross. There's not another soul that shed his own blood that covered your sin. Not another soul that did that. There's not another soul that could do that. So the chance for intimacy with Jesus Christ is greater than any other relationship that we could have. And, and I gotta tell you, I, I know what it's like not to understand that. I've been saved 43 years. And it took me almost 40 of those years to figure out how intimacy with Jesus Christ is supposed to work. And, and by the way, it wasn't just about the gifts. It wasn't just about what, what he wants to manifest in my life. That, that came after. But really what it was about was understanding he wanted to be my best friend. He wanted to sit there with me in everything that I'm doing. He wanted to be a part of everything. You know, how cool is that to have a relationship with somebody that literally you can share everything with? Now, there's a downside to that. Because if you're seeking sin, that's tough. That's like seeking sin and inviting the conscience along. Yeah, it's tough. But see, it's understanding what he offers in relationship that makes it all worth it. So, what, anyways, that wasn't what I was planning to say. Sorry. I know I do that a lot. Last week, we talked about this idea of success. And, and we used Peter as an example, and I love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I cannot wait to meet him. Because I think he's one of those guys that when you, when you get volunteers to go do something, he's the one with the hand up first. Hey, let's go jump off a bridge. Pick me. I'll go do it. Yeah, let's do it. And, and oftentimes he's gone before you even take volunteers. We look at that in the Word of God, right? And, and he's always right there. You know, and, and we went through that last week where, where you know, Peter had this recognition of who Christ was. He was the first one. First of the disciples to recognize who Jesus Christ was, that he is the Messiah. And Jesus said, the Father has shown you this. So that information was downloaded to him by the Father, which was the first time that he was open enough to receive that. But then we went through Peter's life and all, all these crazy things that he did. You know, and, and, and I'm not going to go through that again, but I want you to understand that, that what he did, it wasn't the result of what he did, it was the heart of what he did. Now, he's a, he's a dive-in first, ask-questions-later kind of a guy, right? And, and we're all different in that way. That tends to be how I am sometimes, um, unless I'm tempered by my wife, <laughs> which is often. Maybe Peter didn't have a, a wife that tempered him. I, I don't know. But... So I, I really understand, Peter, how, how he would choose to dive in before really even understanding everything. Some of you are very different than that. Some of you are way more calculating than that. And, and you have the luxury of being able to sit back and say, boy, I'm glad I didn't do that first, because that was the wrong choice, or that was really ridiculous, or that was really stupid. And, and you have the, op the opportunity of being able to learn from others' mistakes. And, and that's, that's a type that God makes people. And, and thank God that not everybody is the same. Thank God that not everybody is a dive-in first. And thank God that not everybody is a wait-and-see. You know, he gives us a mix. 
Because, see, those dive-in first people, they go through a lot of heartache. They go through a lot of lessons, and usually lessons that are pretty tough. And it's like lessons that they really didn't have to go through. <laughs> it's like I, I look back on my life, and, and there are so many things that I could have learned without going through that. But I was a dive-in first kind of guy. But see, there's a joy to that side of it, too. Just like the other one where you sit back and you can watch and you learn and you don't have to go through the pain, but still to dive in and just trusting God, even when you learn the lesson, there is a joy to that. And we looked at that in Peter's life, right? Peter became the, the rock in which the church was built, the physical church. Now, not the cornerstone, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the cornerstone, but he used Peter to build his church. If you look at the rest of the New Testament, you see, you see that Peter is a dominating factor in the growth of the church of Acts. And I think the reason why was because his heart ran after God. And we looked last week at the difference of of how many times he inserted his foot into his mouth, and then when Pentecost came and he was filled with power of the Holy Spirit, and he has his first message of all time, his first sermon of all time, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And then a few days later, 5,000 more. How crazy is that? That was the difference between undergraduate and graduate. That was the difference between intimacy with Jesus Christ in a learning mode and knowing who he is. And see, Peter knew who he was. So, so today we have that same opportunity. And even greater, by the way. See, Peter didn't have the same Church of Acts Word of God that we do. He didn't have all the stories. He was the story. He was part of the story. So he didn't have what we have. We can look back. We have the entire Old Testament, which is what he had. But then we also have his whole life. We have Paul's life. We have all the letters. We have Timothy. We have all these, these people that we can look at and these stories that Jesus Christ tells. We have all that. And it gives us something to rely on in building our relationship with him. But it makes no difference in the capability of that relationship. I want you to understand that. Every one of us here has the same opportunity with relationship with Jesus Christ than anybody else. There's nobody that has more opportunity than anyone else to be intimate with him. Once you're saved, you have to accept Jesus Christ first because that's what puts you on the platform. But then you have every opportunity. It's no different for me because I'm a pastor. It's no different for someone else because they are a worship leader or whatever, or a teacher. That might be a difference in how they're used, but it's no difference in intimacy. I want you to turn. Let's turn to Matthew 16. We went through a couple things last week on Matthew 16. Matthew 16. But we're going to go through something a little bit different this week. Matthew 16, we're going to start at verse 24. And Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And he's trying to teach them about relationship. Teach them about following him, about relationship with him. And understand, you know, what, what, his, what his life has been up to this point. Let's start at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's stop, stop there for one second. What does that mean to take up our cross? Okay, we have to look at what was Jesus' burden. What was his plan, God's plan for his life? He took up the cross for us. Now, you have to understand, at this point, Jesus hadn't done that. This was future tense for Jesus when he was saying this. He said, you want to follow me, you want to be a part of me, you have to do what I'm doing. 
I haven't done it yet. I am stepping by faith just like you are. He had to take up his cross. Now Jesus knew what that meant. He knew where his cross was going to lead. He knew that because of his life on that cross, he was going to be able to offer life to the very people he was with. But he said, there's a cost. You want to follow me, there's a cost. It's not something that you can just choose to hang out with a cool crowd and then be there when you want. There's a cost. There's a cost to being intimate with him. Not to being saved. I want to make that clear distinction. Salvation, he gave. Our justification, he gave 100%. Is 100% grace. There's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing you did to receive it. Except to say, Lord, please come into my heart. That's all you did for it. You didn't die on the cross to do it. You don't have to pay some penance to do it. He did it all. When he was on the cross, the last thing he said is, it is finished. It was complete. What he did was everything that was required being done. So what he's talking about here is relationship. If you're going to follow me. See, you can accept him into your heart. And you can be saved. You could be a Christian and not follow him. Many, many, many. A larger percentage of Christians are like that than are not. Because there's a cost to following him. And see, we don't like to think about that. Especially as Americans. We, we live the American dream. You know, where does that apply to Jesus Christ? It's like, it's not supposed to cost me. Yeah, anything worthwhile, by the way, costs you. You want to have a good relationship in marriage. You want to have a good relationship with siblings. You want to have a good relationship with your best friend. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a piece of who you are. It's going to cost you a piece of your will. You've got to go after what they want as much as yourself. Okay, You can't be in a relationship. If you want that to be successful, you can't be in it with, what do I get out of this? It has to be, what can I give to this? And when you do that, you receive so much more than than you ever expected. And that's how it is with Jesus Christ. So, So again, we're talking about people who are following him, would come after him, as it says in verse 24. They need to deny themselves and take up the cross, their cross, and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? That can be really confusing. Wait a second. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, what that's talking about is is what you're trying to do in your life. And and really, it's, it's your motivation. It's your goal in life. Is your goal in life to, to build some great career? Is your goal in life to, to be rich? Is your goal in life to, to have certain things? A certain status, perhaps? See, it's talking about seeking this life and the things of this life. If you want to do that, you're going to lose the intimacy with Jesus Christ. Don't be confused here. You don't lose your salvation. It's not what he's talking about. Because he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about relationship. See, a relationship with Jesus Christ is a precious thing. It could be lost. It could be broken. It could be built up. It's no different than any other relationship that we have. It it has a cost. And requires investment. And that's what he's saying here. If you are trying to invest in your life, in your physical life on this world, you're going to lose this relationship that you want with me. Why? Because I'm not in control of that. You're not letting me be in control. But if you lay that down, verse 25 says, if you lay that down and you seek says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we begin to give our cares over to him, 
our goals. By the way, it's easy to give our cares to him, right? Oh, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. I mean, that, that's when we all turn to him. But it's a little tougher to give our goals to him. It's a little tougher to give the good things in life to him. Especially things that we're, we're not quite sure if he's okay with yet. <laughs> well, Lord, let me just do this for a while and I'll figure it out if it's okay and then, then we'll talk about it later. You know, he's saying, give me your goals. Give me everything in your life. Give me who you are at your core and trust me. See, if you want relationship, this is what you have to do. That's what it says. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? By the way there, I want you to understand, it's still not talking about salvation. Okay, because it is the spirit that is saved. Remember, man is separated into three things. Body, soul, spirit. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, comes and dwells with our spirit. That's why after we accept Jesus Christ, we could still sin. Look around, it happens. <laughs> we, we have people that are saved that are sinners. Okay, Because we still have choices over our body. We still have choices over our mind, which is our soul. When the Bible talks about soul, it talks about your mind. It talks about your personality. It talks about who you are as a person. And what he's saying here is, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, going after this career, getting everything that they want, and forfeits his soul, forfeits his mind, forfeits his mind to have a mind of Christ. Because, see, that's what Paul said we're to have. We are to go for, he said, I press toward the mark of this relationship. Philippians 3. I, I press toward the goal of this. This relationship. I press in. I press toward it. I go after it with all that I am and all that I have. I go after it. Why? Because I don't want to forfeit that relationship with Jesus. What he said in this verse, here in verse 26, is he gave us a kingdom perspective. Where is your perspective on this earth? Is it how am I, how am I going to pay the bills next month? Or is it how am I going to get that next promotion at work? Or is it how am I going to find that right person for me? You know, what's coming up next? How am I going to plan out the next five years? And, and some of you are great planners. That was never my strong suit. <laughs> Remember, I'm the dive-in guy. I could plan tomorrow. I'm good at planning tomorrow, maybe next week, perhaps next few weeks. But some of you are great planners. You've been given that gift. You could plan. You know, I'm just curious. How many in here have a five-year plan? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. How many have a five-year plan that you've really thought about? Okay, we're in trouble, people. We need some people that can go a little, little longer than a, than a few years here. Okay, but, but here's the thing. We all are different types of people, but we go at life with the same goal. And that goal is either going to have our mind on Christ, or it's going to have our mind in the temporal. And what Jesus is saying in verse 26 is, is set your eyes on me. Because if you set your eyes on this life, you're going to lose this life. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to have problems. Why? Because you're mine. Jesus is saying you're mine. You are his. You are saved. You are bought with a price. And there's a specific end goal that he wants you to have. And that's intimacy with him. So if we are saved and we keep our eyes on this life, we're going to run into problems. We're going to run into problems. Why? Because he loves us. Because he's not looking at this life. This life are the stairs. This life is that testing ground. This life is where we live by faith. But see, there's coming a time where we don't. There's coming a time when either the bride is ready and he takes us home, or we breathe our last breath. And that time of faith is over. That time of testing is over. 
that opportunity to increase in relationship through faith is over. It's changed at that point. Because then you see him face to face. It doesn't require faith, which is the very thing that pleases him. Hebrews 11.6 So there's coming that point. Until that point, you have opportunity to grow in relationship with him. And that's what he wants. That's why if you are saved and you have your eyes on this world, you're going to be miserable. You're going to have problems. You're going to not understand, well, Lord, you know, this is good. Why can't I go after this? When he's looking at it from, normally I say 30,000 feet, he's looking at it from 3 million miles. I mean, he's looking at it from the end. From what will it take to get you from point A when you accept Jesus Christ to the final point when you're with him, what is it going to take to get this person intimate with me? That's what he's looking at. And so he sees how we are, and he sees how each choice in our life plays out. That's why if you place your life in his, as it says here, you start to have kingdom eyes. You start to understand that that there is more to life than what this world offers, and you start looking to that kingdom of Jesus Christ, he said, then you'll find it. If you fix your eyes on him, you will find your life here on earth. You know, it's crazy. I'm, I'm 52 years old. I get called to pastor at 50. Okay, a lot of the guys that I hung out with, a lot of the... I was a builder before this. A lot of the people that I knew in business, they're starting to think about retiring at my age. And the Lord calls me to something brand new, completely starting from the beginning. It's, it's, it's different than what we would think in the world's eyes. To give up a business and just start brand new. Something you've never done before. It doesn't make sense. But see, to Jesus it does. See, because to Jesus, it wasn't, the importance wasn't what he was going to have me do. The importance was what would it take for me to seek him? What would it take for me to become intimate with him? Him to become my best friend. Somebody that I speak to all the time. What's it going to take to get Greg to be with me all the time while he's here on this earth? Just putting out full faith in me so I could soak up this faith because that's what I love. Do you know we're in awe of, or the, the angels are in awe of us? Have you read that in the Word of God? I mean, it's crazy to think of that. See, they see Jesus. They know Jesus. They talk to Jesus. They're in awe of us because we have the same thing, even more intimate, and we don't see Him. See, they're just in awe when someone steps out in faith. There is so much power generated in stepping out in faith. I want you to think of faith as fuel. I want you to think of the will of God as this, for your life as this machine. He places this machine in motion. He begins to show you what he wants. And by faith, you take a step. And it adds fuel to that machine. And that machine just starts to turn. Starts to motion. Starts to move. By the way, it doesn't Boom, overnight. Intimacy with Christ, awesome. doesn't happen overnight. It starts to move slowly. Why? Because he's going to soak up every ounce of faith that you're willing to give him. Because that's what pleases him. That you believe his word, that you believe what he did, that you believe what he's doing in your life. And then you take that next step cranks it up a little bit more. And that machine starts to move a little stronger. 
get a little more momentum. And then before long, as you trust him over and over and over again, so much of that faith fuel, think of it as rocket fuel, the most pure fuel you can think of, is just pouring into this machine called your life that he begins directing. And there comes a point in intimacy with Jesus Christ where it's just operating on all cylinders. You're just trusting him. Why? Because he has proven himself so many times before. See, I don't have to worry how I'm going to pay my bills. Why? Because he promised me. And I trust his promise. And when we gave up the business, when we closed the business over two years ago, it wasn't with an alternate plan. He did that on purpose. In fact, he told me, sell all your equipment so you can't go back to it. (laughs) But do you know he has provided for us every step? Every step he's provided. Everything he wants you to do in life, he will provide you with everything you need to do it with. He promises that. 1 Corinthians, 13, or 1 Corinthians 9 8. Or 2 Corinthians 9 8. 2 Corinthians 9 8. Write it down. You will use that verse thousands of times in your life. If you have heard me a few times, you've at least heard it once. If you've been hearing me for a while, you've probably heard it many times. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. See, what he's basically saying there is what I give you to do, I will give you everything to do it with. So don't worry. Don't fret. Don't stress. Don't be anxious. In fact, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Rely on his promise. God, you promised. So I'm going to trust you. I remember three months after we closed the business. That's about how much we had to live on with with the, the money that we sold all the equipment. After that, I remember things were really tight. And Lex came to me, maybe, maybe we should pray about this together. Let's pray about this. And you can ask her, I remember my response. Because it's been that way ever since. We don't need to pray for it. We don't need to ask him for it. Why? Because he already promised it. There's no need to ask him for something he's already promised. The only thing I had to make sure of is that he called me to do what I'm doing. If you make sure in your life that you are on the path that he wants you to be on, you don't have to worry about provision. You don't have to worry about any of that. Why? Because he promised it. It's not something he just promised to me. It's something he promised to all his children and to all those who are in his will, who seek his will, who follow his will. So wherever you're at in your life, All you have to figure out is that that next step is the step God wants you to take. That's why in Ephesians 6, there is a specific piece of armor for the shoes. It says shoes shod with peace. Right? And I taught about this, I can't remember, two years ago, whatever it was. But the the shoes of peace were that you had confidence every step you took. Every step you made sure that it was the Lord. Why? Because when you do that, all of his promises fall into place. Lord, I don't need to ask for your provision. Why? Because you promised it. And every day he has been faithful. Every day. And in crazy ways. You want, to, you want miracles in your life? You want things to happen in your life that don't make sense? Start trusting God. Start stepping out in faith. See, like it says in verse 26, if we're so concerned looking at our own lives, He can't work in it. Because we, we give Him no room to work in it. 
How do we give him room? We give him room by faith. You can't have faith without looking at his kingdom. Matthew 6.33. Have you all heard that one before? (laughs) Yeah, a million times. Seek first his kingdom. His righteousness. Then he takes care of everything else. He said, keep your focus where your focus needs to be. And you'll gain your life. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now we could seriously rabbit trail here. And, and I, I know this like the fourth time I've teased about this. And maybe one day we'll get into it. So mark this down as the fifth time. <laughs> but rest assured that there is repayment, there are rewards that we receive based on our intimacy with Him, based on our relationship with Him. When you finally stand before Him, you will be repaid. It says it right here. This isn't Greg Twiddell saying this. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now remember, he's talking to saved people here. This isn't about heaven or hell. This isn't about, well, well, you didn't accept Jesus Christ, so, okay, you go to hell, and you accept Jesus Christ, so I will repay you with heaven. He's talking to believers here. They are all going to heaven. But there are rewards. If you, if you don't understand that, read Revelation 3, verse 25. To those who conquer, they will receive a crown. And read Thessalonians when it talks about what he has for us. That there are eternal rewards that he has for us. See, those rewards are based on intimacy with Christ. Those rewards are eternal. And those rewards are not handed out to everybody. Why? Because there's a cost. There's not a cost to us receiving heaven, but there is a cost to us receiving reward in heaven. Now the rabbit trail is getting into what all that means. (laughs) We're not going to do that. But it's a fascinating study. See, the Lord has eternal rewards for those whom he is intimate with. Don't just assume that if you don't pursue God as a saved person, you don't pursue God in this life, but you're saved. Don't assume that that intimacy just automatically comes when you see him. Because it doesn't. And, and, And if you don't believe that, Open up and dig in the Word of God. The Bible says just the opposite. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is earned. It is our choice. That's why he says, draw unto me and I will draw unto you. See, he puts the placement of first step on us. To draw to him, then he draws to us. He already paid the price for our life. For him to reap the rewards of that relationship, it can only come by faith. It can only come by our choice. We please him by making that choice, by trusting who he is. And the crazy thing about it is is when you look at that, you think, okay, that's my cost, that's my burden, I will trust you, I will step everywhere you want me to step, and and I am yours, and and that's my burden in life. (laughs) Then he turns it around and he just surprises the heck out of you. And he blesses you beyond your imagination with that relationship. I mean, it's crazy. At 50 years... God changed my direction in life. And I feel like I'm a kid. I feel like life has literally started all over again. Except that I, I know some more things this time. Right? It's, 
It's crazy what he does when you're obedient to him. It's crazy what he does when you step out and you say, Lord, I just trust you. Try it. If you've tried it, you know what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, I would challenge you to listen to him because he has something else for you. He has a new step for you to step out of your comfort zone. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. Last place he wants you is in your comfort zone. He allows us to stay there a little bit, here and there, just kind of catch our breath, I think. But that's not where he wants us. He wants us trusting him. He wants us like Joshua stepping into the Jordan before it parts. You know, it wasn't until the priests first stepped that it parted. See, they didn't know. All he said was, I'll part the Jordan for you. Okay, well, Lord, I'm right here. (laughs) You haven't done it yet. Just take a step. Trust me. That's what he's saying to each one of us. Apply that in your own life and where he has you in your life. What's he telling you to do? Because I'll guarantee you, each one of you has something. If you know him as Savior, he has something he wants you to step out. Trusting him for. Yeah, this is intimacy. This is pressing in. When we're not sure of our direction with Jesus Christ or we're not sure of what he wants us to do. And maybe, maybe many of you are in that place right now. Lord, I know you want something, but I just don't know what it is. See, I, I know that in order to claim 2 Corinthians 9.8, I, I know I need to know that I'm stepping where you want me to step. So Lord, that's where I'm at right now. I need to know. What do you want me to do? Please show me, what do you want me to do? Oftentimes we are in that place. And we may be in that place many times over and over throughout our lives. But see, if we get that right, the rest of it falls into place. Because his promises can be applied. So wherever you're at right now, wherever that next step of faith is, If you're asking him and you're not hearing it, press in. Press into the Father. I think of not being able to hear very well. You know, as as you don't hear, what do you do? You lean in. You get closer. You get right up next to him. Put your ear right up to his mouth. But lean in. Press in. What does it mean to press in? It's not about learning more. And and by the way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You need to be in in, in God's word and you need to be learning God's word. But that's not the key. Sometimes it's worship. Because worship is a recognition of who he is. And declaring that out loud. But sometimes, it's just quiet. Sometimes it's just sitting with him and saying, just speak. I love you. Just speak to me. And not saying a word, but just thinking about him. Giving him an opportunity to cut through the clutter of our mind and reveal it to us. I found myself, that's where I get my answer. Because I've spent time in the Word, I've spent time in worship. But you have to spend time giving him an opportunity to speak. Just be quiet. Just let him speak. See, that is probably one of the hardest things that a Christian will do. 
Why? Because we're proactive. Because we're warriors. We're always moving forward. We're Americans. <laughs> we're always moving forward. But Jesus said, you got to hear me. you got to hear my still, small voice. He's speaking. Oftentimes we don't hear. Because sometimes he doesn't speak in the thunderstorm. Sometimes he speaks in the whisper. And it requires that intimacy to be able to hear it. That slowing down of your life long enough to trust him. Where's he got you at this morning? Do you need to slow down to just hear him? Do you need to push out of your mind even what he has had you do? Even something that you know is his will for your life? See, the doing can sometimes become preeminent. He doesn't want to... I mean, it's great that he gives us things to do and that we do them. But that can't replace him. It's no different then. That's how come you see, you know, these people that are in full-time ministry and their lives go, they just go way off. Why? It's because at some point the doing became more important than why. See, it's the intimacy that's important. That's what you have to hold on to. That's why your eyes have to be toward his kingdom and trusting him. And when you do that, he will blow you away. He'll blow you away. Let's pray.